0: Meeting from the Royal Institution of Australia, and this is the Cosmos Briefing Podcast. Today we talk to Dr Nicholas Eyre, a molecular virologist at Flinders University. We recently ran an episode about the controversial gain-of-function research, which is a technique used in virology and genetics to knock a function into a virus, such as transmissibility, to learn about how it evolves. One thing that resonated from that particular interview was the importance of understanding the properties of a virus well before an outbreak occurs. A previous episode looked at the Zika virus, and today we look at dengue fever. Today's interview is hosted by Cosmos journalist Dr. Deborah Davis.
1: Hi, Nick. It's really good for you to come and talk to me today. I think that the whole virology gain-of-function um, topic that's really hot right now is so interesting, so I'd really like to know more about that. So tell me, what what is your perception of gain-of-function research and what does it contribute to science?
2: Okay, so uh, in, in virology, uh, gain-of-function research generally relates to uh, studies of the, the acquisition of... Um, altered or, or additional properties of, of a virus, um, and they might be sort of increased uh, transmissibility, uh, increased uh, ability to cause disease in humans, for example, uh, increased uh, transmission between different species, or or, um, or increased evasion of uh, exists, existing um um, post immune responses to um, to the given virus. Uh, so that's that's generally what people talk about uh, or are thinking about when they talk about uh, gain of function experiments in, in virology.
1: Why is the transmissibility and uh, changes to how um, it might affect us? Why is that so important?
2: I guess um, I guess it's really important in understanding and, and predicting how quickly a virus can uh, spread through a population. Um, how. Uh, Reliable intervention strategies might be, uh, be they social distancing or uh, PPE or, or, or so on, um, and predicting you know how how future um, mutations and changes might affect that that rate of um, spread is is important as well um, as, as we're currently experiencing now uh, in the SARS-CoV-2 um, pandemic.
1: Without that type of research, how does that affect our prediction of future pandemics? um Obviously, we have things like influenza, which comes around every year. so what are we learning about those types of diseases
2: um I think um, I think Obviously, um, the the seasonal influenza vaccine is is based on on prediction of of, uh, changes that occur um, from one year to the next, and that is obviously very important in in preparing the most effective uh, vaccines that we can for for a given upcoming flu season. So that's a good example of of how prediction can can help. Um, And when it comes to smaller changes, um, I guess, um, rather than playing catch-up and and seeing in the population level how a given mutation um, Affects the, the rate of spread. Um, you know, if if the science behind it can already say that a given mutation or change is is going to you know result in increased uh, spread or, or decreased uh, pathogenic effects, we can sort of predict how how serious a given uh, change will be at a population level before it happens. Uh, so I think that's that's why it's really important.
1: Um, yeah, and also understanding. Continue. Sorry.
2: Oh, sorry, I guess also understanding, you know, uh, how effective a a current vaccine might be against a new uh, variant is is obviously a a topical um, issue uh, at the moment.
1: Yeah, Yeah. could you tell me a little bit more about how this um, influences vaccine design?
2: Um, Yeah, I guess uh, sort of understanding uh, which regions of a given viral uh, genome and virus proteins uh, are subject to the most change uh, can influence uh, which Regions are targeted by a given given vaccine, um, and understanding uh, how likely it is that a virus will mutate to make that vaccine ineffective um, is is very important. So, um, so I think that's that's how it can how it can really shape, um, you know, the design and and unders- help us to understand the uh, efficacy of a given vaccine. And in some cases, um, you know, researchers use this uh, information to avoid regions that are subject to rapid changes or or more frequent changes and and target those more uh, constant regions that will be more effective against a broad range of viruses for, for a longer time.
1: This is a very biological type of research, it's what a lot of other things are based on. What kind of techniques do you use to do this research?
2: Okay, so I think, um, I think there's a number of techniques that are really important. Um, one of the most uh, powerful techniques in, in recent years has been uh, high throughput sequencing of RNA and, and DNA um, genomes and, and being able to uh, quickly uh, determine uh, a viral uh, genome sequence in, in a short time frame and even in a, in a mixed uh, population of of viruses within a given sample uh, is really powerful and important. Uh, other important techniques are, are basic molecular uh, biology techniques, such as uh, PCR, uh, polymerase chain reaction, so we can amplify a given region of a, of a given viral genome. Um, and molecular cloning, so um, we can generate um, either expression constructs or even entire uh, viral genomes that we can use and manipulate um, and, and use and allowed to study viral uh, replication and spread. Um, also, uh, obviously, uh, cell culture and animal small animal models like mouse models where we can um, test the effects of a given mutation or a given therapeutic intervention. Um, and, um, and finally, I guess, um, also just basic uh, molecular assays where we can you know, test the effect of a given change on uh, a viral replication cycle or, or a given virus's properties or its ability to interact with a re- receptor or an antibody or, or so on. Uh, so all important techniques, I think.
1: Yeah, and that, that's a whole range of techniques that is all coming down to doing this one overall technique. For the sake of research, I suppose, as well. So, tell me a little bit more about your research. Uh,
2: so, we work in, in molecular virology around uh, dengue virus in particular, uh, and, and Zika virus, and, and traditionally uh, hepatitis C virus. So, all positive strand RNA viruses. Uh, we work predominantly in cell culture, um, and we're interested in, in virus host interactions during the virus's uh, replication cycle and also uh, how mutations might affect interactions with with a viral host and, and ha- understanding and sort of potentially um, uh, exploring and manipulating these interactions to, to gain a better understanding of how a virus replicates and, and causes disease at a basic molecular level. So What's
1: the um, difference between um, researching it as a cell culture as opposed to in a living host?
2: Um, I guess uh, there are advantages in the sort of turnaround at the time frame that you can you can do work in cell culture, uh, so we can have results sort of quickly. And um, I guess there's obviously uh, reduced uh, ethical um, considerations for, for working in cell culture. You know, we, we don't feel too bad about killing cells that are just growing in a dish um, continuously, uh, whereas uh, animal works obviously um, a bit more. Um, restricted in that sense uh, but also animal works obviously are more informative in, in understanding um, sort of physiological responses immune responses to a given given virus uh, so both are, are very important and um, uh, complementary I think
1: when it comes to bi- biosecurity what kind of laboratories uh, is this type of research carried out in
2: so so both um, Cell culture and and animal uh, research using pathogenic viruses has to be uh, conducted under uh, strict biosafety and biosecurity regulations. Um, And depending on the nature of the virus, uh, that might be a um, a PC2, for example, or PC3 um, uh, conditions and and, uh, that dictates the the level of... of, um, steps and measures that need to be um, taken to minimise the risk of um, exposure of of the researcher uh, and the wider public, obviously, to to a given pathogen. So um, um, this is, you know, tightly controlled by um, uh, federal and and institutional uh, regulatory bodies.
1: Yeah. They're, they're tightly controlled and they're also um, continuously reviewed, which Sorry. is, I think it's fantastic to live in a country that takes that so so seriously. Um, thank you so much for being with us today. It was really fascinating to me to learn more about that.
2: Great. Thank you very much.
0: We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. Remember that you can head to cosmosmagazine.com via the link in the description for more great content. You can also subscribe to Cosmos Magazine, Australia's only science print magazine, and Cosmos Weekly, our online subscription-based deep dive into the biggest issues. You can watch and listen to all our Cosmos briefings via the link that you'll also find in the description. And remember, if you support science and its communication, please support our work at the Royal Institution of Australia. I'm Chuck Smeaton, Today's interview was hosted by Dr. Deborah Devis and our executive producer is Catherine Roberts. Thank you.